This is Doug Hastings, Vice President of Moody Radio, and we're thankful for support from our listeners and businesses like United Faith Mortgage. Mortgage commercials are rarely exciting. So to make it slightly more interesting, here are my nieces to do it for me. So interest rates continue to drop like my sister's baby teeth. Come on, Uncle Ryan had to say the same thing last year. That's true. Last year, it was rates are boring talk historically low. And now this year, there's somehow even more boring talk historically lower than the previous boring talk historically low. Sounds boring. But for so many listeners who just haven't wanted to deal with it, refinancing right now could save you massive amounts of Lego sets. Rates have gotten that low. Some borrowers could potentially save hundreds monthly and tens and tens of thousands over the life of a loan. And if you didn't put 20% down before, some could even stop having to pay PMI. Give Uncle Ryan a shot. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed Mortgage Banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you five messages Alan Redpath presented on the Christian life at MBI Founders Week Bible Conference 1969 and 1982. Alan Redpath was a British evangelist, author, and former pastor of Moody Memorial Church in Chicago during the 1950s. Now, here is Alan Redpath on Today in the Word radio. Please open your Bible at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, I have laid on my heart the burden to speak to you this morning about some principles of evangelism. Some amazing statistics reach all our ears from very different sources, all kinds of sources. One of the most interesting recently I heard was that if you put the whole population of the world with their hands held out, side by side, just touching each other, they would reach to the moon three times, back and forward, back and forward, three times. Terrific. Many other statistics which more or less interest me, at least they tell me, tell me there are more people unsaved alive today than ever before in history. And the church has a tremendous task. That's our priority task, not a branch of church life, but the task of church mission, Mission, outreach. But if you have the right dimension in Christian living, you don't need a program for outreach. It's automatic. When the love of Jesus fills a man's heart, it's automatic. He can't keep quiet about Christ. He's on the job all the time because he loved the Lord Jesus. And I want to talk to you some about some of these principles that I see shining and burning out on the page of this, of this page of God's Word. Of course, of course. When I turn to a chapter like this, people will say, well, now, watch your dispensations. I mean, this is something dispensational, something that only happened at this particular time. It's not for today, isn't it? What's different? Oh, everything's different, is it? The only thing I know that's different is us. God's the same. He never changes. His power is the same. It's never less. The opposition that confronted the church then was equally strong to that which confronts it now. Why the Roman Empire could have brought this lot right deep down into a bucket in a few weeks' time and got rid of them if it wasn't for the power of God. 
and they cut through society like scissors cut through paper and turn the world upside down in their generation. What's different? New dispensation, certainly. A new beginning, yes, indeed. But no ending to it. And ever since then, there's been a moving of the Spirit of God that's gone on with increasing dimension, increasing height, increasing force, sometimes decreasing, sometimes increasing, and will go on until Jesus comes again and takes his people to be with him. A day for which I can't wait. But until then, I don't want to, what do I say, burn out? Rust out, that's it. I don't want to rust out. I want to last out and burn out. And that the flame that hit there at Pentecost and began to indwell humanity might burn in my heart till I see Jesus face to face. Let me therefore say one or two things about this principle of outreach that I find shining out in this chapter. The first thing I notice is that they made an initial point of contact. They made a point of contact. Now, of course, this was remarkably easy. Verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, or wondering, as the word is in other translations, amazed and wondering, they asked one another, what does this mean? Somehow I made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd, Follow Jesus, fellow Jews, and all of you who are in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I see. These men are not drunk. I suppose, as you suppose, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. The first movement of outreach was not the church going out in a mighty evangelistic effort costing millions of dollars. It was the world coming into the church in amazement. Now, don't anybody... And what a time a preacher has with cassettes and microphones and all these modern techniques. And people catch up a word you say and they blasted all of the country out of its context. I'm not having a crack at Billy Graham. If he was here, as he was years ago, I would be 100% with him all the time. I'm all for him. But the effect of a mass evangelistic crusade will be minimal unless the world is drawn in to know what's going on here. What's all this mean? What's happened? And the reaction of the people to the outpouring of the Spirit of God was, well, some were amazed and some were bewildered and some wondered. If you're amazed, you don't know what's going on. If you're bewildered, you know you don't know what's going on. (laughs) And if you wonder, you're just beginning to worship. In fact, if I may dare say so, at the moment you cease wondering, you cease worshiping. If you can explain everything by psychology, you defrock a Christian. If you can explain him on a psychological basis, forget it. Forget it. A Christian can only be explained on the basis of miracle. Something had happened. A new dimension had come into humanity. 
a new life, a new power. And these men were filled with the Spirit of God. And because of this, something in them needed explaining. And the crowd came in and said, what does this mean? And immediately, Peter's on the ball. He doesn't need to organize an outreach. He doesn't need to organize a crowd to go out scattering tracts around. He doesn't. They're all coming in to know, what's the matter with you? What's happened to you? Huh. I wouldn't like to be accused of being drunk, but I would love to think that people thought I was drunk with the Holy Spirit. Why, these men are drunk, drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. And then he went on to explain the coming of the Holy Ghost. Did you notice that in this chapter there are two questions the crowd asked? The first one, what does this mean? The second one, verse 38, what shall we do? We're expecting people to ask, what shall we do? And they don't. Whereas we've nothing to explain. What does this mean? And so little that we do needs any explanation. It can all be explained on the basis of sick programs, neat ideas, new methods, new ideas of evangelism, six easy lessons on soul winning, how to go about it, how to be an attractive Christian girl and reach people for Christ. How Christian charm course. Come to my Christian charm course. And then you'll know how to put on charm. You don't get Christian charm at a drugstore. You get it by the incoming and invasion of the Holy Ghost in your life. The charm of Christ. Blazing through the love of Jesus. Shining out of your heart. Oh, forgive me getting so excited. Stop it. I can't help it. I'm only a hillbilly preacher. <laughs> I don't know much about some. I better come here and have some homiletics on introduction, conclusion, and three points. I don't know much about that. But, 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 but I just want to get over the burden. How can we expect ever to reach society today? And I don't think we've much longer to do it. I wouldn't risk any dates and times and seasons and so on. Oh, but it would surprise me if little children born us now will ever see old age. The world's going rapidly, rapidly down, and the day is approaching, and every sign of prophecy is being fulfilled that Jesus is coming soon. Ah, oh, we haven't much longer. I want to be climbing on track with him all the time, don't you? And buying up the opportunity to testify and witness to our wonderful Lord. But you see, the problem is we spend our time chasing after unconverted people and they run away from us. It's not that we're unsound. We're sound right enough, but sound asleep sometimes. But we're sound. And we're orthodox, and we're members of the right kind of church, and we have the right basis of doctrine, and all that. But something's missing. I'll tell you what it is. Doctrine, without the Holy Spirit, is dead. I don't care how sound it is, and how fundamental, and how dispensational, it's dead. But 
the Holy Spirit, an experience of the Holy Spirit, that is not based on doctrine and the Word of God is dangerous. Highly dangerous. But I tell you, if doctrine is linked with Holy Spirit life, that's dynamite. And that's the one dimension that is missing in the church today. Nothing needs explaining. You don't need to explain song service, hymn, prayer, reading, notice and offering, special number, sermon, hymn, benediction, off we go home. <laughs> and the last thing that anybody ever talks about when we're finished is Jesus. And the first thing they talk about is the weather, or the corns, or the blisters, or the backache, or the kneeache. And they talk about the suffering and the problems that they have. And the last thing they ever think about is going out of the church to talk about the Lord and the wonder of his salvation. No, let me do that. Where did you find the church? Come and tell me after. Where the theme of conversation when they leave the building is Christ. And how I love him and how I rejoice in him. And the church is on fire with love for Jesus. And the people go out to propagate the gospel. No, I don't find that. No, there's nothing to make people amazed, nothing to make them bewildered, nothing to make them perplexed, nothing to explain. What does this mean? Hmm. Does anybody ever come up to you and say to yourself, Guy, why don't you blow your top with your wife anymore? What's happened to you? Say, why is it and how is it you don't blow your top with people. You don't get impatient. You don't get mad. Something about you is different. I don't know. What is it? Why is it that you care for me? Why do you bother about me? Why do you love me? Why is it there's a new sense of peace about your heart and about your life? How can you go through that crisis and be so patient? How oh, do you face those years as a woman and there's no one to care for you? Your husband's way off. You've no one to love and you're on your own. Children desperately need a father's influence, but fathers on drugs or drunk. A way out doesn't care less or worse than that. He's a sound fundamentalist and won't bother about anybody except his doctrine. He doesn't care. Tell me, lady, how do you go through that year after year and you're so sweet, you're so loving, and something about you that speaks to me every time I see you at the love of Christ just shining through? How, how, how? I was in Vietnam some years ago with, with the OMF. At a missionary conference for two weeks. Not Vietnam, Thailand. And uh, I was preaching at this missionary conference twice a day. And I tell you, if you give missionaries less than an hour and a half, they grumble. Oh, they say, we're undernourished. Mm. And you know, the temperature, 90. Humidity, 100%, 200%. And no windows, only holes in the wall, no lights on, except one above my Bible. And all 
the lights were switched off to keep the mosquitoes out. So all the mosquitoes were having a heyday <laughs> on my Bible. And at any minute, I could have stopped gladly. Oh, and I couldn't go on. I was absolutely exhausted, being bitten head to foot and sweating on my Bible. I ruined my Bible that day. <laughs> what kept me going? Every session, a missionary was wheeled down on a wheelchair and sat right there. And I watched her. I could just see it. I looked at her face. I saw her face shining. She had a notebook. She was taking everything down. And I saw all the things going up. And then she'd look up. Her face beamed, lit up with the glory. And she wrote it on me. So whenever I felt like stopping, I just looked at her and on I went. And I felt I could give up. Oh, no, I can't when she's looking at it. She's got it. Oh, my. The hunger. When that conference was over, I spoke to the director, Dr. Oswald Sanders. I said to Oswald, tell me about that lady. Oh, he said, that's a story. When we were pushed out of China in 49, she was in language school in Singapore. Two years later, she got polio. And every limb of her body was useless. We took her to Manorum, our chief hospital. She received the best treatment, but nothing happened to her. We couldn't improve her. So very reluctantly, the field council decided the only thing to do was to send her home, and she came home. Her home was in Northern Ireland. She was at home about three or four years, and then he said to me, we had a letter from her. And she said, I'm sure the Lord called me to Thailand. He didn't want me here in Northern Ireland. I'm no better. I can't move an inch. But my hands haven't been affected. I can use them. And I could be, do a tremendous job in the hospital as a secretary and relieve the missionaries for their chief priority. Won't you have me back? I'm sure the Lord wants me there. And he said, Pastor Redpath, we couldn't say no. And so we had her back. And for the last five years, She's been doing a tremendous job in the hospital, typing away. But I'll tell you something. Through that illness and sickness, the Lord has done something for that girl that we don't understand. And he's put a dimension into her life that has no explanation. But when we have missionary problems, and don't you think that missionaries don't have problems, they all do. We're all made in the same mold, some of us molder than others, but they have, the, they have problems like anybody else. And if there are a small group of them to live together and love each other, it's no small problem. And he said, when our missionaries have problems, they all go to her, talk to her, counsel with her, pray with her. And time and time again, the problems are answered. Incidentally, and not as a, a, a main theme of my message, but in brackets, be very careful because before you preach instant healing to anybody, won't you? Because God is God, he is able to heal anybody at any time, any minute, instantly, but he doesn't always choose to do so. And that woman went through 20 years of hell, absolute hell, and came out of it triumphant. What's it all mean? 
How do you explain it? See, she'd got something to explain. And brother and sister, if you want in your life something that has to be explained on the basis of miracle, it's highly probable that it'll hurt. Highly probable that the Lord will use the nails to drive you to Calvary till you're absolutely hurt and you can't take it anymore. Lord, I can't stand it. I can't stand it anymore. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And to quote the Living Bible, God's strength shows up best in weak people. Got it? Something needs explaining. Wait, do you want something in the life that needs explaining? Well, I'll tell you. It won't hit the headlines. It won't make you a big guy. It won't make you think how people think how wonderful you are, how great you are, how big you are. It'll knock you down, knock you flat. Henceforth, let no man trouble me. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Got any marks? Got any marks? You're going to come out of this school, some of you? Whoa, with all the other theology, right? Crouching your eye, crossing your T's, and dotting your eyes correctly. Got it all? Got your dispensations correct? Yes. Got your theology correct? You know how to divide the word of truth rightly, but you've no marks. And what in heaven's name are you going to do? Get out in the battlefield with the devil and see him constantly on the attack against you, and you'll be down in a week. In spite of all your training, if God doesn't put on you his marks, what does this mean? What was it? Fire. Fire from heaven. Oh, God has spoken before by fire. Often. He spoke to Abram as a sacrifice, a flame, went through. He spoke to Moses out of a bush that flamed and wasn't consumed. Of course, when we tell that story to our kids, we tell it all wrong. Because we think the great miracle is that the bush was not consumed. Amazing, amazing. The bush carried the flame, but it wasn't consumed. It went on burning. That wasn't a miracle at all. The miracle was that the flame didn't need the bush for its use. And the flame went on burning. <laughs> Hallelujah. God will take any old bush, any old life. If only that life is ready to say to him, Lord, I'm yours, I belong to you, I give myself to you. Let the flame burn on and on and on. He'll do it. Something that needs explaining. Missing dimension, no flame. Missing dimension, no power. Missing dimension, no authority. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witness unto me, said the Lord Jesus. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. I'm not giving you that. I'm retaining that myself, but I'll give you power. 
all exousia, all authority. That's pretty good, isn't it? I know a word of Greek. All exousia, all authority will be in my hand, and I'm keeping it all the time. But I'll give you dunamis, dynamite, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. But I'll tell you something, says the Lord. If you're not prepared for my authority, I'm not prepared to give you my dunamis. If you're not prepared to submit to what I am, phew, forget it. If you want something that needs explaining, it means submission to my authority. And then the dunamis comes. Hmm. Some Christians never go up because they won't go down. Hmm. Hmm. you believe it? A fellow rang me up from New Jersey when I was in Moody Church. Said to me, we want a new pastor. Do anybody in Chicago who might come? So, I told him about three fellows I knew I thought might be interested to move. Conversation went on 45 minutes. I didn't care. He was paying for it. <laughs> and I never forget the conversation, though. What school did they go to? What university did they go to? What seminary did they attend? What did they major on? What degrees have they got? The end of 45 minutes. He said to me, thank you very much, Pastor Redpath. Thank you very much. Sparing your time. But none of those men are big enough for our pulpit. Hold it. Hold it. Don't you put that phone down. Are you sure, sir? You don't mean they're not small enough? The way to up, said Dr. Barnhouse, is down. Something needs explaining, and it's the wiping out of me, the wiping out of you, the wiping out of my independence, my claim for my own rights and my own way. I have no right from this day on except to do, Lord, your will. An initial point of contact, which was easy. Notice this. They made a beeline for Jesus in their ministry. I don't quite know the answer to this. Some of you theologians tell me. Come and tell me afterwards. Do you think, do you think that what Peter said was a summary? What's recorded here? Was a summary? Or is it word by word? A complete sermon? I would like to think it's a summary. Because after all, it only takes ten minutes. <laughs> exactly. And uh, my conscience would be eased a bit if I thought, this is just a summary. But what more could he say? Twelve verses. Twenty-two verses altogether. Twelve verses, direct quotation from the Word of God. Ten verses explaining how Jesus fulfilled them all. What a Jesus he proclaimed. Verse 22, Jesus of Nazareth, the man accredited to God by you by miracles, wonders, and signs. He did among you, as you yourselves know, this man handed over to you by God, set purpose and foreknowledge. You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death, nailed him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, for it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Of course it was. 
God has raised, verse 32, this Jesus to life, and we're all witness of this fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, for a Jesus. No weak, emaciated human Jesus, but this was God. This was God who came in human form and was obedient even to the death of the cross. Went through it all. God's perfect man. And God couldn't leave that man dead. The third day rose from the tomb, ascended to heaven. Everything you've seen happen today, the coming of the fire, the coming of the Spirit, it's all because of him. It's all that he made it possible that he might redeem mankind and have a humanity who had forsaken their independence, who never demanded their own rights, who were prepared to obey him completely. And in every generation who would display that his life, as he lived it for 33 years ago, was being perpetuated in them. That's the explanation of what happened and the thrill of it. Oh, the thrill of it, that people might see and behold the living Lord in a human life, absolutely changing that life from glory to glory into his own likeness. Jesus, the explanation of everything that's happened at Pentecost. Jesus, accounted for it all. Don't you remember he would say to us that I said to my disciples just a few weeks ago, it's better for you that I go away. Oh, that's hard to believe, Lord. Yeah, but it's true. For I don't go away, the counselor will not come. But if I go away and God's perfect man ascends into heaven and he has on his hands the marks of blood and in his side the mark of a spear and in his feet the cruel marks of the cross and in his brow the mark of a thorns. God's perfect man who's gone through that for rebellious humanity and he's taken that life up into heaven and received of the Father the right for men to live again. Men who had no hope and were dead and dying and useless. They've come alive now if they'll only trust me and obey me. And how the Father must have smiled upon the Son because at that moment, or soon after, a few days after, the Holy Spirit came and the fire fell. And humanity, a bunch of them, a bunch of nobodies, believed in him, trusted him, followed him, obeyed him, up to the hilt, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. He, they made a beeline to Christ, the Lord, the King, in the preaching. He's the explanation of it all. My dear friend, let me say something to you. The Holy Spirit did not come because of a 10-day prayer meeting. He came because Jesus had won the right for you and me to live. And that the right to live meant the forsaking forever of my claim to my own way. My refusal 
my refusal to accept an alternative, that I would tread the Calvary Road for the rest of my life and live for him. And to men like that, he's alive. And today, he pours out his spirit upon men who are at the end of themselves, beaten, helpless, bankrupt, hopeless, but cry to him, Oh, Lord, forgive, cleanse in your blood and fill with the spirit and send me out where the action is. And let me say to you, and let me quote C.H. Spurgeon so that I'm sure I'm on safe ground. And C.H. Spurgeon said, If your faith does not lead to a drastic change in your behavior, it will never change your destiny. May I repeat that? If your faith doesn't lead to a drastic change in your behavior, it'll never change your destiny. Why do you believe what you do and behave like the devil? Why? Does it affect your behavior? Does it affect your treatment of the opposite sex? Does it affect your views on behavior to a fellow or a girl? Can you be trusted? Is a girl thankful when you're around or she's scared stiff? Does your faith change your behavior? Or does it leave you squandering, just floundering in the same old mess and the same old defeat? That's not a saving faith. And you can believe what you like and go to hell. And you're not saved because of what you believe. You're saved by the one in whom you believe. And I terrified lest here in Moody Bible Institute there are folks, fellows and girls, dear people who've come from non-Christian homes or even perhaps from Christian homes and who are not really born again. Oh, yes, you believed everything right. But there's been no change in your behavior. And when the Spirit of God comes because Jesus ascended into heaven to give you his life and his power, he changes your behavior. That doesn't mean patching you up. It means telling you, get out of the way and let me come in and live my life in you and through you daily, that the explanation may lie in me and not in you. And one last word and then I'm through. Don't take that literally, one last word, too literally. <laughs> Oh, when Paul preached the letter to the church at Philippi, when he was half through the letter, chapter 3, verse 1, finally, brethren, <laughs> the father of all preachers who, saying that, indicate they're getting a second wind. But no, I'm, to, I'm, I'm due to stop in three minutes. So hold it, fasten your safety belts, and we'll be grounded in just a minute or two. Listen. Oh. They made an initial point of contact. They went straight to the Lord Jesus for an explanation of it all. And then they demanded a verdict. What shall we do? They already asked, what does it mean? But now, what shall we do? I'll tell you what to do, said Peter. Repent. Oh. Oh, that's not the word. It's believe. It isn't believe. Repent. Not the word believe. Repent 
became the key word of the New Testament. God commandeth all men everywhere now to repent. Because he's appointed a day in which he will judge the world by the man Jesus Christ. But he has given assurance to all men in that he has raised him from the dead. And Jesus alive demands his future coming and then judgment. And meantime, God says, repent. And if he is slow about coming again, I remind you that the New Testament says he's not willing that one should perish, but all should repent. And the book of Revelation to five churches out of seven, he said, repent or else. Repent. My last word to you is that. Repent. Change. What's the word mean? Metanoia. There's another two Greek words I know. Yes. Matter. After. Noia. Think. Think again. Forget what you've learned for a moment. All your theology. You'll need it. Theology is needed to explain experience. But if you know experience, it's not much use. First you need experience, and then you'll have your theology to explain it. I say forget it for a moment. And especially forget that someone told you that if you believe in Jesus, that you shall be saved. Only once that text appears, and then it was said to a man who was shaking his shoes because the prison walls were falling down. No wonder he had only to believe. He'd already repented, scared stiff. What does repentance mean? I'll tell you. Change, change. Repentance means I change my mind about God. I know, I know, I don't care how many million people are against me. He's on my side. His face is turned my way. Never does he turn his back upon me. Everybody else may. Everybody else may turn away from me, but his face is toward me this morning in this place and toward you too. And he's smiling upon you and saying, change, change, think again, change your mind about me. I'm not someone to avoid. I'm not the man upstairs. I'm not somebody that's in a remote distance. I want to come into your life, change your life, order your life, control your life, and possess you. And I want you to understand, my dear child, he says to you this morning, you want freedom? The whole world's longing for freedom. Yes, I'll tell you when you're free. You're only free when you're not free to be free of God. You got that? You're only really free when you're not free to be free of God. Lord, put the chains on. Make me your slave. I want to change. Make me your slave. Once a slave to sin, a slave, a lust to desire, a slave to sinful thought, a slave to everything. But now, Lord Jesus, I want to be your slave. Bind me, bind me with your cords to the altar. Lamb of God, he's worthy to receive riches, honor, power, glory. Chain me. Change my mind about God, and I change my mind about myself. I change my mind. Oh, I thought it was quite a good fellow, quite a good guy. Not doing badly at school, you know, getting on, getting good grades. Yes, not a bad guy. 
and I'm not nearly as bad as all the rest. They break the rules all the time. I only do it 50% of the time. I'm not nearly as bad as some. Oh, I'm really making out well. Ah, yes. I know that as far as my sinful nature is concerned, says Paul, I'm rotten through and through. Hallelujah. What does God expect from you? Asked Majorian Thomas on one occasion in my hearing. Changed my life when I heard it. What does God expect from you? Oh, I know. He expects me to be such a bright person, such wonderful education, such this, that. He expects from you nothing but total failure. Oh, I take some accepting. I'm a washout. Absolute washout. Nothing but failure. If it wasn't for that, there wouldn't be a cross in history. If I could somehow scrape my way through without it, well, that would be wonderful, but I can't. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling naked. Come to thee for rest. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul out of the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, as I... You came that way years ago. Yes, you came that way. You should come that way right now. God forbid that I should ever get too big to come that way. He doesn't save me because, and keep me because I'm good. He saves me because I'm a beggar. I come begging, 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 begging to him for grace to meet my need. Lord, save me. I changed my mind about myself. Apart from Jesus, I'm hopeless. And the only good thing about me is Christ himself. Come, Lord, you're wonderful. Come and live in this wretched little bit of clay and transform it. And I changed my mind about other people. Begin to care for them. Begin to love them. Love one another, even as I have loved you. Lord, that's an impossible command. Oh, my. Love those difficult people. Love those awkward people. Love my roommates. Love those people I can't stand the sight of. Love them? <laughs> can't possibly do it. No, says Jesus, but I can do it if you let me have your way, my way with you. I can love and love them through you. Impossible to love like that. Impossible in myself, but natural to the Spirit of God in me. So, let me loose in your life. Let me loose. Let me loose. Release me. Don't hide me behind all your tradition and all your orthodoxy, but let me free. Change. And my urgent, earnest prayer as I finish is that somehow this message, very inadequate, which burnt its way into my heart through the night, they burn its way right through you and take you out of this place a changed man and woman to leave Christ before the people before it's too late. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and a message titled Necessary Dimension that Alan Redpath presented at MBI Founders Week Bible Conference 1982. Alan Redpath was a British evangelist, author, and former pastor of Moody Memorial Church in Chicago during the 1950s. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. We invite you to join us next week as we bring you five messages Alistair Begg presented at MBI Spiritual Emphasis Week 1991. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.